welcome back to the Warlord Games official podcast. My name is Brad, and today we have a very, very special guest on the show. Now, I know I say that just about every time, that, oh, the guest we have is amazing and sensational, and look at all these great things they've done. Well, this is a man whose name has been uttered on this podcast more than any other. Uh, you might know him from his his name from the the front and back of countless warlord game books uh, and there his his name will be blazoned on the front of warlord's newest game which is coming this christmas which is of course cruel seas and if with all of that there's only one name that that could be the man himself behind warlord games john stollard john welcome to your podcast well hello brad all the way from Australia, and I'm here in Nottingham. Great to hear. Oh, it's the best part of technology, John, that you and I can get back to having these conversations like we used to back in the day when we both lived in the same country. Ironically, neither country we live, or sorry, that country, neither of us live in now. No, the good news is it sounds like you're in the next room, but I'm assured you're not. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, I'm quite a far away. And while you are wearing a nice warm sweater and, you know, drinking some nice warm tea, I am sweating. Yeah, there's a vision. Yeah, <laughs> not a great one. Hey, how are you? How are things at Warlord Games? Tell us all about the good stuff that's happening in headquarters these days. Well, I'm not sure I can tell you all of the stuff, but I can tell you quite a lot. Uh, no, we're mad busy. Uh, we've got Santa's elves and Santa's helpers running around like maniacs trying to get things into boxes and send them out to the right people just in time. Mm -hmm. uh, the post office have decided to go on strike. So any Canadian listeners, I'm really sorry for you. You're not going to get your presents from us this year unless oh, no. you're lucky. Yeah. Go and poke me in the eye. Uh, apart from that, no, we're really, really mega busy. And, of course, the most exciting thing is uh, getting cruel seas out of us. I know. There's just been so much talk about that game. I mean, between um, the little black and white videos that you guys have been, you know, sneaking out over the last couple of months, and then, uh, you know, all of the, the great articles that have come through the website and through the emails, I'm really looking forward to this game, John, and I know you are too. Tell us a little bit about this, because it's been a labor of love for you, hasn't it? Well, it's been three years in the making. I started writing it when I went on a Mediterranean cruise three years ago. I was off the coast of Italy and Sicily. There were all these little, uh, kind of like car ferries, I suppose. Uh, and they look exactly like uh, the Italian and German F-flighters of World War II. And that got, just got me into the idea of doing the coastal wargaming uh, thing. I've always liked most torpedo boats. As a kid, I was brought up with the... Uh, the old British comics, the black and white British comics, which uh, featured uh, a particularly daring captain called Killer Kennedy, who uh, went out on increasingly unlikely uh, um, <laughs> journey to sink the Kriegsmarine and everything the Imperial Japanese Japanese Navy had as well. And uh, I rather got just got really into motor torpedo boats. So uh, seeing it all, I thought, right, I'm going to write a game. Now, up until then, there's been a few good sets of rules out there mm. done by official of naval gaming, but rarely uh, uh, the models go with it. And sometimes some fabulous models, but no rules, if you see what I mean. So mm -hmm. we put it together, fantastic models, and I hope a good set of rules. 
Well, I've had a quick squiz, and from what I've seen, they read really cleanly, and the game seems to work really well. I'm looking forward to actually putting it on the tabletop soon and doing it, you know, giving it proper justice, though. Um, I know you've been playing, so uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the game? Um, let's start with the scale, because it's one three hundred scale, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's being done in one three hundred scale, which uh, means that... Uh, an actual uh, crew member would be about six millimeters in height, really tiny. Wow. It's, uh, it's very much an established scale for World War II tank games. Mm. Uh, but we thought it would work well for uh, motor torpedo boats because you can actually see the crews on the boats and you can tell what sort of guns they got, six-pounders, 20 mil, 37 mil, whatever. Mm-hmm. And also means you can actually paint uh, pennant numbers on them, you know. So it's big enough to, to look cool and small enough so you can... Uh, really zoom about the tabletop. Yeah, and you can get some pretty impressive-looking fleets on there, too. Oh, you certainly can. Um, you know, it's uh, now bearing in mind, it's this is coastal warfare, mm. so the very largest thing that you'll... you'll the, the largest possible thing you'll come up against will be a smallish destroyer, but that would be the equivalent of a bow rod turning up in a Dungeons & Dragons. So mostly, it is the motor torpedo boats, the E-boats for the Germans, the PT boats, the Americans, uh, Vospers for the British, uh, and associated things like armed trawlers and flagships and uh, mm-hmm. corvettes. It's uh, all the interesting little ships, fascinating stuff. Yeah, and I was pleased to see that you included, um, I mean, just actually, you even call them in the game, tiny is one of the classes of ships. And not all the nations have tiny ships. I believe it's... Off the top of my head, it's just the Japanese um, have tiny ships, and then things like airplanes fall under tiny as well. So when you have that, it it's it makes a difference as far as shooting at things. So the bigger they are, the easier it is. The smaller they are, the harder it is, right? Oh, well, the tiny ones are also mega fast. These are, we're talking here about kamikaze boats driving in at 30 knots, uh, loaded with, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, 300 kilos of, of Torpex to try wow. and sink uh, landing. Uh, so they're tricky things to hit and uh, small and fast and very deadly. That sounds terrifying. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's a whole variety of sizes. Uh, there is a point system, of course, in the back of the uh, book, so you can mm-hmm. tailor your, your fleet so to make it all fair. But uh, I'd say this, this, there are six fleets. Uh, we're starting with British and German. Then there's the classic American and Japanese. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Italians and Russians coming out in, uh, in two months' time. But each of the fleets has uh, differs greatly. You'll find some of them have got uh, things like the Russians, because they're crazy. They've got slow, well-armored bronchators, those armored uh, coastal craft with mm-hmm. T-34 turrets on which is madness. Yes. Uh, the Italians have got some really nippy motor torpedo boats, the mass boats. And the Germans have got these uh, horrible flagships, uh, bristling with 88s and 20 mils and 37s to be avoided at all costs. It's great stuff. That's awesome. That is really cool. I love how each nation has its own personality. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, um, I, I did happen to notice that there are 
uh, submarines, at least in one of the lists, um, but it was only for submarines that are above ground. Um, sorry, above with the waterline. So that makes me think that because they're so close to the ground, this isn't necessarily the U-boat hunting game that um, you know a couple of people were you know wishlisting way back when. But this is, as you say, a much more a uh, PT boat, um, much closer to shore, um, fast but smaller scale battle environment. Well, is that right? Well, I'll read you the actual quote uh, on page uh, fifty-six. Uh, 58, it says, submarine warfare. It says, as we developed cruel seas, we had to fend off repeated requests for submarine rules multiple times, including complex and complete rules for submarines, would clearly be madness. Well, clear to us anyway. Right. But so saying, so many people were so excited, we put in some basic rules for surface submarines. So they're more like uh, objectives or targets. So imagine uh, you've got a a U-boat's been depth charged and is trying to get back into one of the French ports, mm-hmm. but it can't, can't, uh, it can't dive, or maybe it's run out of batteries, uh, you know, so it can't go under the water. So then you've got to send out some E-boats or R-boats to try and escort it in. And uh, meanwhile, British or American forces close in to try and to try and snap up the submarine. So it can fire its deck gun or it can fire its flak, but it can't fire torpedoes, really. You know, it's just a bit too complex to uh, to do the underwater bit. But I'm sure skilled gamers and complete nutters will manage to come up with something. Yeah, I don't think those two classes of people are necessarily distinctly different. <laughs> mm. um, speaking of missions, um, I was really pleased to see, like all good Warlord games that there are out there, um, you guys really did mix up the gameplay experience um, and in the game itself, there are, I believe, eight missions that people can um, battle through. Uh, and they sort of, the, the first couple can sort of help you on a very basic level if you're going to learn the rules um, or if you're looking for more of a straightforward fight. But then um, there, is, there are missions based on history that sort of really um, let players, you know, put their tactics through their paces. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about those missions? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good spot, Brad. Um, we thought we'd lead people by the hand um, um, through these eight different missions. So the first two really are about moving and shooting and just having a, a bit of a bash, a bit of a dogfight in the middle of the in the middle of the English Channel with mm-hmm. some Bosphor boss boats against e-boats. So it's really just a straight clash, three against three, I think it is. And then by four and five, we're starting to put in a good storyline behind it with reinforcements coming in and hidden movements. And then by the, the eighth one, which is called Turkey Shoot, that's quite an involved uh, um, uh, scenario set in the Philippines with PT boats ambushing uh, Japanese supply convoys. Uh, and it, we built the narrative in because uh, I put a lot of color text in there. If, for those of you who don't know what color text is, it's you know when you find some fantastic quotes in books and diaries, and you uh, you include it, you know, with a with a with a, a nod to who wrote it, mm-hmm. and it gives the flavor, it gives the whole flavor of the actions. So, doing a lot of reading, um, these these uh, boats were the made of all works. So they were apart from torpedoing uh, uh, cargo ships, they were oh rescuing royal families from Europe, uh, uh, getting ball bearings from Sweden, which is a neutral country. You know, the, mm-hmm. both the Germans and the British motor torpedo boats to bring in. Um, yeah, ball bearings for God's sake. Uh, picking up down pilots—that's a common one. Oh yeah. Uh, laying mines, laying mines for the R boats and the minesweepers. Minesweeping, uh, 
uh, obviously reconnaissance um, and uh, dropping agents ashore. That's a good one. That was a very common thing to be done. Dropping mm-hmm. commandos, picking them up and taking them off again. All manner of stuff. So you can get a really good story behind it. So, And I've tried to say uh, a little bit of role play. I don't mean literally role play, but mm-hmm. I say it's best not to fight to the end. It's your boat. You know, would you really risk your whole crew? You know, to just just to get an extra couple of points, if you know what I mean. Right. It's much better to your crew to live and fight another day because there is a campaign system at the back as well where you mm-hmm. can actually improve your crew. So having them killed uselessly isn't good for the long term, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And I was really pleased to flip the book open, and that was one of the first things I saw in the table of contents and went back and went, yes, this is excellent, because it really does give you that feel um, that this isn't just an arcade-style bash it up in the middle of the board so much as um, it really places the, the, the captains and the ships themselves in history and allows you to sort of not necessarily reenact, but it gives you that sense of narrative, which is so important to uh, so many of us in the wargaming community. Well, I think so. I mean, one of the, one of the nice things, uh, if when uh, somebody picks up the game, one of my favorite people in history was captain Scott, you know, who uh, unfortunately perished in the, uh, uh, uh South Atlantic in the mm-hmm. city. Um, uh, he's, he's dashed to the South pole. well, before he died, he said to his, he wrote in his diary, look after my son, who was a chap called Peter Scott. And uh, Peter Scott went on to become a, a motor torpedo boat commander in World War II. And uh, he's written, he wrote his book uh, called uh, uh, The Battle of the Narrow Seas. And in it, in his opening chapter, he puts a wonderful letter in about uh, how bitter and uh, terrible the uh, fighting in the Channel was, but uh, saying to it, uh, I'll just read the quote. It says that there is no glory to be had out of war that cannot be had out of some greater and more creative enterprise, that nothing will ever compensate us for the men we have lost, not even the way so many of them died. They were ready to die because they wanted to save the children and the children's children from future wars. The least that the least and most that any of us can do is to vote ourselves to find a complete and lasting peace and then to maintain it with all our energy. Fantastic. So I put that in as a wow. quote. Because he was there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, PT boat captains, there have been many of them that have gone on to become very famous. I mean, uh, not to, you know, talk about a famous American on a British podcast, but, uh, you know, John F. Kennedy was a PT boat captain at one point. Um, And I have actually seen his PT boat at his library. So, yeah, I mean, if you were a childhood of my generation or the generation before mine as well, um, to take it out of history and to put it more in a um, pop culture context, of course, there was McHale's Navy, which, you know, made light of it. But still, to be honest, as an American child in the 80s, watching it in syndication was my first exposure to that um, because PT boat combat wasn't one of those things that you saw tons of, um, you know, in Reagan's America. But now, um, you know, that I'm looking back through history, I think that was a very nice, lighthearted children's way of getting into it. Because then when I did see JFK's actual PT boat, I, I, I actually appreciated it. And it wasn't just a punk kid going, meh, what's a boat? Um, but I went, oh, okay. And then it really put it in history. And I'm sure, um, you know, living so close to the channel yourself and being a history aficionado and perhaps being a generation before me, um, you would have a, a much more rich context um for that 
we certainly uh, did learn all about uh, PT109 and uh, Kennedy and his he's very brave uh, the, the way he uh, looked after his men very well mm. after sadly getting rammed by a Japanese destroyer at night. I think somebody might have not been paying enough attention, one of his men, I suspect, but uh, but he really he really uh, got the crew back together afterwards and uh, very heroic stuff. Mm. Nice. Well, tell us more about your history with um, just the, the whole idea of naval combat. I know that, you know, you mentioned your trip before, but, I mean, clearly you've had a bee in your bonnet about this game. Tell us about how this game came to be, I guess. Well, the game came to be because uh, I I'd, I'd, I bought a lot of models about 20 years ago in mm. one 600th scale, so twice as, twice as small or half as big. Mm. And uh, I liked them, but uh, you just couldn't tell what on earth they were armed with. They just had sticks. Yeah. And you think, and that's not terribly exciting. Um, so I thought, one day I'm going to, Get some bigger models, and uh, and uh, fortunately, there's a, a chap called Steve Cox who used to work for a company called Skytrex, which mm. some of your listeners will have heard of, who's been around for thirty years, forty years in Britain, and he's the pattern maker. He made an awful lot of their tanks and, and in fact, lots of their ships over the years. And uh, mm-hmm. Skytrex sadly went out of business about three years ago, uh, and uh, there's a bit of a scandal there. Uh, and Steve Cox uh, asked me if there was any work he could do. And I thought, right, now's my chance. I know he knows all about naval wargaming. Absolutely. So I said, yes, please. Could you, make, could you make all the motor torpedo boats that he used to make twice as big? So he got all his plans. Out. He's got blueprints and books everywhere, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. he's, he is a real aficionado. So, yeah, he said he started. So he started banging these out for me. And uh, before I knew it, he'd given me seven different versions of the, the Fair Mile, uh, which is a, a large motor torpedo boat and uh, a rescue boat and uh, an escort boat and a gun boat. And you name it, he knows it all. So by moving the guns around and just uh, a few of the... Uh, uh, accessories on the boat, uh, you can very quickly get an interesting range of models, all with different capabilities. So he makes them all out of uh, old-fashioned way. He makes them out of uh, milliput and plastic card. Nice. Uh, no, no computer designed for him, and uh, stuff makes these lovely models. And so, unfortunately, it wasn't in the warlord budget. We have a certain amount of money we put aside each year mm-hmm. uh, for Paul Foyer to spend on whatever he likes, staff. <laughs> tea, bacon sandwiches, yes. and, uh, and, and plastic kits. Uh, and I, so I said this idea of this game, he sort of gave me that full withering look, you must be mad. Mm-hmm. But I said, okay, I, I don't want it out of your budget. So I paid for it myself out of my own budget. Uh, so, I, so I wouldn't get into trouble with him. Uh, and it w- wouldn't mean that anybody else would suffer. It wouldn't mean any bolt action people wouldn't be getting their bolt action stuff. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so I started building up in the background for the last two and a half years, sneakily getting these models made and sneaking them down to the lovely Rachel in our uh, resin room and saying, could you just run me off a few of these, love? And before long, I had my own little fleets. And people started saying, wow, those are really cool. Who makes those? And I said, we do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, it was, so in the end, I was just doing my own market research. And I painted some up in my own rather... Um, uh, inept way, but they st- but they still look great because the detail was good, and I put some crew on them and mm-hmm. painted them up quite quickly. And once you put a flag, once you get an ensign on them, they look fantastic. And if you could even manage a bit of rigging uh, out of cotton, 
then they just look sensational. And the joy of it is anybody can make the models look good. Uh, and the, the slightly larger models, things like the Corvettes, uh, in, they're made in resin and metal as resin and pewter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I gave one to, to, to those to top painters, and uh, they fully rigged them, weathered them, and they just look sensational. So uh, that's how the fleet came about. And then we thought about it, and we thought, right, what's going to go into the box, in the main box? Let's make, let's make it a box game and tie it all together. Well, if we'd given it to Rachel in the resin department, she would have had to do 18,000 different castings oh. <laughs> in resin one at a time. Uh, and we thought that might just be a bit much. So mm. at the end, I suggested to Paul that we do the, the starter set in plastic. So in the box, you get uh, four e-boats, which are long German boats, mm-hmm. and six Vossels in plastic. And that's your starter set. And they're really crisp. They look very nice. I, I hope you've seen them. And then the yes. next one will be the, the PT boats. We've also done them in plastic. So, uh, And everything else will be in resin and metal. Oh, that's sensational. Yeah, no, there. Um, of course, you've had some ships in the most recent episode. Uh, sorry, issue of uh, War Games Illustrated. So people around the world have seen some of your plastic ships. Yeah, well, they're so easy to put together, and they're great fun to convert as well. Of course, because you can do a lot of battle damage on them as well, drilling in shell holes and uh, you know where fires been, and make them look really beat up. It's great fun. Oh, that's sensational. The local shop has not had it in stock, that particular uh, issue. I think it actually went in and sold out before I got in. And so I have I've not seen them in my grubby little paws, but all the pictures in the book look absolutely sensational. Um, who who did those? Was that were those studio painters? Because the boats throughout that book are gorgeous. It's mainly been done by uh, Crazy Derek, our, uh, our mad Polish painter, who's really, really good. He, uh, a couple of them are mine, just one or two, but the really good ones are Derek and uh, my mate Dave James, Dr. Death, he, he did some. And finally, Gabrio, who works with us, he did the Italian, some of the Italian fleet. And what a great job he's done on those. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really blown away with just the quality of the ships in the, in just the book. And um, how are you guys doing the wake alongside the boats? Because that, I mean, that is just such a great effect. And you have it on so many ships in, um, in the art for this game. Yeah, we put, we put wakes in, made a card, and it's really uh, a way of, uh, A, it looks good on the tabletop, but also it's uh, a way of showing the ship speed. And how quickly they can turn. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's get into the rules because I think we've been talking, you know, art and history and what our loves are. But I know there are some, you know, some folks out there who want the nitty gritty. So um, I'm going to make a few analogy or I'm going to make a few comparisons, John, and you can correct me if I'm getting a few things wrong here. So for those of you who have played games like Bolt Action. Um, this has, um, like Bolt Action, most games of Cruel Seas have six turns. Um, and um, there, there is the notion of um, chits for each particular ship that go, for each ship you get a, um, a die that goes in the bag. And then you pull it out and then you can allocate it to a ship in your fleet. Am I getting this right, John? It's yes, very similar to the Bolt Action system, which means... Uh, it gets quite tense, hoping that your chit is going to come out next rather than the enemies. 
Do you want to do something desperately with one of your ships? Normally launch a torpedo, for instance, mm. and you just ache that one to come out so you can allocate it to your boat. Nice. And once you have allocated it to the boat, that boat gets to resolve all of its bits and pieces. Um, I guess I should mention that there is a phase before you start pulling things out where sort of un, um, unguided torpedoes do their thing and you know ships that are out of control have their movement. But then you go through that whole process. And then once each dice has been pulled, that boat can do its movement. It can do its shooting. Um, it can just go through the turn. Um, so if you're familiar with bolt action, um, the turn structure is similar. It's not the same, but it's similar. Um, John, am I getting this right? Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, anybody who's played bolt action uh, will be, uh, or in fact, Antares will easily pick it up. And uh, it's quite intuitive, really. It's uh, and, and, and a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I did not have a lot of time with the, the rule book before coming on today, but I was surprised. I am not one who enjoys reading rule books from cover to cover. Um, I usually learn best by playing and then reading the rule book. Uh, but I was surprised at how smoothly everything was and how clear, not to say that I was expecting anything less from Warlord, but you know, I, I that is not my strong point. And the fact that I went through and read that, it went, oh, this makes perfect sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and it just, it, it reads smoothly. So my hat off to you, sir, for that. But let's talk about some of the other things that people might recognize. There's the notion of veterancy. So you can have inexperienced or regular or veteran ships as well. Now that means different things than in the bolt action world, but you still have those notions, correct? Uh, yeah. Again, those, uh, <laughs> The cunning gamers out there, and there's a lot of you, will know what a huge difference one or two pips on the dice mean. Mm -hmm. It makes it all the difference. And uh, to have a, there's a big difference between a, a regular and a veteran. And there's just chalk and cheese between uh, veteran and and green. You know the uh, mm -hmm. the conscript. You can run rings around the untrained guys as well. You should. Mm. So tell us a little bit about how speed works in the game, because you did mention that wakes are involved. So um, as as people go faster, it, it I'll let you, how does that affect mobility, maneuverability, and the wake that you leave behind you? I'll tell you how the speed of movement came about. I thought I'd be uh, very literal, and all I did was I looked into uh, the um, physical knots that, that the, each vessel could do, and I just made that into a centimeter. So uh, an e-boat maximum can go do 42 knots, you know, and landing craft, something like nine knots. So that's how I just got the movements of each uh, vessel. Mm. That's quite simple. Uh, but then you've got, um, you, you, there are three speeds. There is, well, there's, there's stationary, there's slow, medium, and then uh, actually uh, full speed. At full speed, you're not going to hit very much because you're going at about equivalent of 45 miles an hour, yeah. bouncing ocean you know, with you basically your crew would really be clinging on i suspect mm. not engaging and you're certainly not firing any torpedoes because uh, that would be madness you're not going to hit anything mm. so that's really for getting to and away from the enemy and it's in the medium speed where most people are going to be going you've got a fairly stable platform uh, uh you're moving so you're more difficult to be hit but you're not thrashing the water uh, so meaning meaning you can't hit anything um and then 
on the wake when you place so the wake you place under the boat which shows the three different stages of your speed mm-hmm. uh, and on that wake there are two two crosses one is green and one is red and the most maneuverable vessels which of course the torpedo boats they can do tighter turns so when you when you look at your wake you place the rear of the boat against this cross and it will show that you can make a greater turn one greater than the other color so right. things like uh, uh, minesweepers are, can't turn very fast mm-hmm. but uh, these agile boats they can really make they can make one turn then move then make another turn then move and then make a final turn so they're really quite nippy these things nice and are oh. you using just a regular movement like a, a ruler to measure these out i mean i know you talked about how there are spots that you can turn the ship and it's very oh. clearly laid out in the diagramming but it occurs to me that i'm when i'm asking this question that i actually didn't I didn't remember this from my read of the rules that you actually just move forward then using a standard ruler. Yeah. Well, we just recommend using a standard tape measure as long as it's measured out in centimeters. But, uh, we've also popped in a, a, a card ruler in the box set for you just to get you going. Nice. Now, this game doesn't just include ships. Um, I did drop earlier. It does include planes, um, but only specific planes and in limited numbers, right? Um, the game, yeah. When we uh, obviously air power was important in World War Two, and mm. uh, increasingly all the navy started sticking loads more flat guns on all of their vessels. Um, but the majority of actions, which uh, most people have to understand, were done at night. Um, your PT one hundred nine was struck at night, for instance, by a destroyer. Uh, so what what would happen is they go out at uh, they go out at night and uh, or at dusk and do their beastly work in the dark because. Basically, to keep them away from aircraft, uh, all all small vessels hated aircraft. So, uh, um, so we thought we better include aircraft because they were there, but they weren't uh, they weren't that deadly because well they couldn't see the boats at night. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And the the boats themselves um, are there night fighting rules in the game itself? Well, uh, when you're fighting at night, um, the crafty Americans, of course, and the cunning British. Uh, got Got their radar sets working before anybody else. So uh, mm-hmm. the, the PT boats were uh, very deadly at night uh, with excellent uh, radar. Uh, and a lot of you know, the, the small uh, the uh, Coast Guard ships of the American Navy also would be using their, their radar. The Germans cottoned on a bit later to it. Uh, the Italians a little bit. And the Japanese and the Russians scarcely at all, really. So, but there are searchlights, so you can use searchlights to light up your enemy uh, and spot them and dazzle enemy gunners as well. But it's uh, radar means that you can. Uh, one of the tactics that all the of the navies used was to fire their weapons, turn and run, and then make smoke. So, uh, just sprayed acid into the engines uh, to uh, produce this horrible clouds of white smoke, and uh, that would uh, cocoon your boat. But if you've got radar, you can just see through it and carry on shooting with big guns. If you've got a 40 mil gun or bigger, you can carry on shooting uh, as if you could still see them. That's the advantage of the radar. Oh, that's crazy. Well, that sounds like the high end um, of the technology of the time. But let's, I guess it should be mentioned, there's the low end as well. Um, and one of the notable ships that I've seen several people commenting on in social media is the Sandpan. Um, I was overjoyed to see a sailboat in this game. Yeah, um, World War Two. What? Yeah, it's a great, great point, Brad. Uh, World War Two, of course, uh, 
was very rarely glamorous. And mm-hmm. uh, the United States Navy very quickly uh, eradicated the, uh, the Japanese merchant marine. Um, they really, really gave it a thrashing. Uh, and the Japanese were overextended, of course, and the American submarines in particular, well, and, and, the, and the American Air Force, hunted down all those large transports and just sank them. Uh, mm-hmm. So after that, the Japanese, um, innovative chaps that they are, they just adapted to all the local sampans. Um, but these sampans are quite big, and they're, they're really well built because uh, they have to survive the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. And they would be compartmentalized as well. So they're made of wood, but they've, they've been made in loads of compartments, so very difficult to sink. And then the Japanese Navy and the Japanese Army started uh, manning them with 25 mil guns, uh, mortars, heavy machine guns, and then uh, putting in uh, steel as well, steel to to armor these boats. So even though they look like um, uh, easy pickings, uh, they could really dish it out as well. So uh, these dreadful uh, um, shoot-em-up type uh, battles between PT boats and, and the Royal Navy as well, they're out there with their Vospers mm-hmm. against these sandpans, which could be really tough to sink. Which is hilarious because if you, I mean, not hilarious, but if you look at them, they literally look like they're almost out of the samurai era, like out of your uh, your other game, Test of Honor. You look at these boats and go, wow, that's from World War II? Yeah, and they had them in their thousands. Uh, I was watching uh, idly during my lunch break, but don't tell anybody, mm-hmm. uh, some uh, gun camera of uh, Mustangs over uh, Tokyo and uh, Okinawa. No, yeah, and uh, Yokohama. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're shooting up the Japanese uh, 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 shipping, but so many of them are these sampan-type simple fisher boats, really, fishing boats. But uh, but the Japanese, as I say, did make them quite tough things to crack. Oh, that's awesome. I love the I just I love the old school and the innovation of it all. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about some of the weapons, because you've mentioned quite a few in the last couple of minutes. Um, this game involves has mortars. Um, there are rockets. Um, there's machine guns. There are all sorts of big guns. Uh, talk us through some of the, the variations between the weapons. Um, and I guess, what's your favorite? Well, weaponry, you name it, it's on these boats. Uh, they, uh, if we, the more you read, I put a big bibliography at the back of the, uh, uh, set of rules for, you did. for people to really get stuck into it. Um, the more I read about it, the more astonishing it was, um, in, uh, in, in Russia, in the Black Sea and around there, the German E-boats and R-boats, uh, which are slightly larger uh, E-boats, uh, they're uh, actually boarding Russian ships and they're, using, uh, they're actually using Panzerfausts and hand grenades against each other. What? It's just ridiculous. I know, it's mad. And, and one of the last operations by uh, a German, uh, uh, German small forces was in 1945 in the, um, in the Thames estuary, so you know, just off London, uh, a motor torpedo, uh, uh, sorry, a speedboat with two SS men in there, armed with Panzerfaust, taking on a Vosper. <laughs> it's uh, it's crazy. That's how dedicated these people were. But um, so it ranges. Um, uh, the basic is the light machine gun. So that would be Lewis guns for the British mm-hmm. and uh, uh, .30 Brownings for the, uh, for the for the Yanks. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly, everybody started putting on the heavy machine guns, the .5. Those and then, of course, they started pairing them as well. So, mm-hmm. paired ones, uh, that gets up to the 20 mil guns, which the Orlikans uh, uh, and uh, the German 20 mil flak, uh, then the 37 mils of the Germans, and which is equivalent to the Bofors, which the Americans were using the 40 mils, and uh, mm-hmm. uh so 40 mil action, 
And then the British came up with a six-pounder, which is a 57 mil, it's based on the anti-tank gun, uh, which is a nasty shell. And uh, then they made it even worse by making it semi-automatic, which, uh, mm. which sounds very unpleasant. And that's a very good anti-e-boat weapon. And then, of course, the Germans would pack their... Uh, wherever they could, if they could get hold of them, they started putting their 88 millimeters, the dreaded 88s, onto things like F-lighters, which are German landing craft, Ooh. and the Siebel Ferries, which are these crazy pontoon things developed by a Luftwaffe officer for the invasion of England. Uh, and they could often have two 88s and two quad flaps on them, so it's pretty nasty. And then the final thing, we just called it a three-inch gun, which is sort of a, means a big gun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it means... Anything larger than uh, an 88, you know, it could be any any size really. But if your if your Vosper gets hit by one, you're half dead. Yeah, <laughs> if not uh, more. Yeah. And there's it's great. The, the, obviously, the best thing to do is get as close as you can because there's a big bonus for firing at point blank range, where you're, you're getting a plus two to hit. So it's very difficult to to miss at point blank range. Nice, very nice. Ah, oh, this is exciting. There's just so many good. Good uh, visuals of the the weapons firing and uh, you know the the heat of the battle on, I guess not on the battlefield so much as the 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 open sea. Uh, all right, John. So what is your favorite? What do you what do you like to play? What what nation? What weapons? What boats? Tell us a little bit about what what you are passionate about in this game, or is it a little bit of everything? Uh, I'm most passionate about the Kriegsmarine, uh, um, the, so the German Navy. Um, mm -hmm. To begin the war, they had the fastest uh, and the best motor torpedo boats by far with the E-boat. It was fast, deadly, uh, and very good seaworthiness. They were, mm -hmm. they were excellent boats. They didn't have very many of them, uh, fortunately for the Royal Navy. Uh, and then after a while, not long, um, the Britons started to respond, and we started putting out better boats. Uh, and then the Germans had to up their game, so they then put an armoured wheelhouse on theirs, uh, so an armoured cupola over the uh, bridge, and then started adding 37 mil guns. And then by the end of the war, they even had a quadruple 20 mil on the back um, uh, to try and uh, try and keep away our Air Force or the American Air Force or anyone hunting them. So uh, they're still sleek and deadly. So, But then I love all the German, the other stuff. Those, uh, I said, I just mentioned the, uh, the F-lighters. Mm -hmm. These things were quite big. They were uh, impossible to torpedo because they were shallow draft. So torpedoes would just go under them. And... They armoured them up with concrete as well, so our guns found great difficulty in, in getting rid of them. And uh, I say the Germans had packed them full of guns as well, and they would use them to escort their convoys. So those are crazy, crazy vessels. Uh, and it's very difficult to get good photographs of them. If you type in F-lighters into Google and have a look, it's it's very difficult to see what they actually look like, because they're, they're normally camera camouflaged, <laughs> and they in that dazzle-type camouflage. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to see what's they were they built hundreds of the things so um, you know they, they were out there but uh, so I'd say the German Navy uh, particularly as they never gave up I mean okay they started it but uh, they never gave up right until they say that the last couple of days of the war they were still toughing it out in the in the in the channel I mean certainly I'll give them full marks for guts yeah amen to that it is funny to think that um to have something so big with so many guns filled with so much ammo that's armored with concrete um, is yet shallow draft and torpedoes would just go under it. It, Yeah. Well, they're very nasty in the game. 
<laughs> if somebody's got a German force, rest assured they're going to have an F lighter creeping about the board somewhere. Nice. So you're going to have to find a way. The way we dealt with it, uh, actually, in the, in the Aegean and in the Mediterranean, what we did when we realized we couldn't torpedo them and our guns couldn't penetrate them, what we did was we teamed up with the U.S. Navy and we got uh, landing craft and we manned them with, with, with two 5.7-inch guns with Royal Marine crews. So that's big guns. Yeah. And uh, we'd, we'd, we'd basically go out at night in, with uh, PT boats, uh, with a PT boat in charge, and it would use its radar to find them. A combined operation at night is uh, the United States Navy would find these F-lighters, spot them on their radar, and we'd open fire with these 5.7-inch guns, and uh, they never knew, knew what hit them, and that was that was the way to sink these F-lighters. Oh, that's such a... <laughs> it's, you can just imagine it, can't you? Oh, well, I, it must have been terrifying for these F-lighter crews to suddenly have these big shell explosions coming in from over the horizon, up, you know, three or four miles away. Horrible. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, um, tell us a little bit. You've told us a bit about the Germans, um, and you've told us a little bit about the, you know some of the other nations. But let's talk Americans for a minute. Um, I was really pleased to see one of the first ships on the list for the Americans was the uh, the Higgins PT boat. Um, now, the Higgins craft for those bolt action fans out there, um, well, they were often the ones used in D Day. The landing craft with the the iconic, you know, the the ramp that drops and everyone storms off onto the beaches. That was made by a company called Higgins. Um, a gentleman who owned it was Higgins. Um, and uh, he also made PT boats. And I believe he did um, the landing craft first. I can't remember which he designed first. But he got his contract for being this crazy, eccentric American businessman who lived in Louisiana um, you know, and basically honed the technology using swamp boats. Um, and that's how he kind of got the contract. And when the U.S. went down to look at his stuff, they went, nah, this isn't right. And then they actually, he, you know, conjoled slash bribed slash got enough people to watch. Um, and then they watched the boats in action and they all went, yep, actually, let's do this. And it's why the U.S. National World War II Museum is in New Orleans because of Higgins and because of the Higgins boat. Um, and that it was a massive part of the industry down there. Anyway, I was really happy to see that. Um, and so um, tell us more about the Americans besides that. Clearly, they have radar. Yeah, well, we've got two type, two, two main boats. We've got the, the PT Higgins boat, mm -hmm. the PT Elko. Uh, the, the, two are the, uh, the Elko, the Americans, of course, being Americans, managed to cram more guns than is sensible on top of it. Um, <laughs> It's got a 40 mil Bofors, a 37 mil, um, I think that was taken from the Air Cobra, uh, the, uh, two twin 50 mils, another 20 mil, four torpedoes, depth charges, radar, sonar, smoke, and optional, even better, two unguided rocket packs. How cool is that? That's awesome. And that's just one boat. And that's, that, that would be called a battleship in Germany. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. I love it. So, so uh, and so, uh, yeah, so they're, they're fast and deadly. And uh, the next one up really is this is the typical sub chaser. Mm -hmm. It's got a 40 mil gun and uh, three 20 mils and uh, depth charges. And funnily enough, can also have rockets. Uh, I, I'm not, they're not terribly accurate, these rockets, I have to say, but they might frighten the enemy. They're more for sure bombardment, really. Mm. But uh, gamers being gamers. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? Got lots of love. <laughs> You know what I mean. <laughs> I don't have a Katusha. I don't know what you're talking about. 
Then we've also got some of the larger landing craft, the LCIs and the landing craft tanks, which again, mm -hmm. have quite a lot of 20 mils stuck on them as well, but they're really more the targets, if you like, you know, yeah. that's what Germans or the Japanese will be attacking. So, uh, so you have to have your, uh, your little ships defending those. So, uh, yeah, um, uh, it's, uh, I think we've got a, for the air support, we popped a Corsair in there, I think for the, mm -hmm. for the Yanks, which is a lovely looking plane. Yes. Uh, and Japanese, what do we have after, um, for that fine oh, nation? I'll open my book and have a look at the list just to mm. remind me. Well, there are, I, I can, while you're opening, I know there are two classes of sandpans that are smaller ones. Um, and then there's of course the bigger ones that you were alluding to earlier that have, um, more guns attached to them. Um, one of course is the tiny class and then the other one is a smaller class. So of course the smaller ships, as we said earlier, are harder to hit. So, um, of course the larger ones are easier, but they're still, um, you know, not the broadside of a barn, so to speak. Um, well, the small sandpan, each, each sandpan, even the tiny ones has got a heavy machine gun in it. And, uh, the larger sandpan has got a 20 mil or it can have two 20 mils or even a, a mortar stuck in the bows as well. They nice. use those as well. And then the tiny boats, the ones you're talking to, are the Shinyo kamikaze boats, mm -hmm. which are fast. Uh, they go 30, 30 knots, and uh, they've also got two unguided rockets stuck on the back of them, uh, oh. which they can hopefully fire ahead of them, but uh, I don't suppose they're going to hit much. And then there's also the Muruni, which are the army ones, which uh, were the same sort of boats, but with depth charges. But uh, the idea was to try and get near to a, an enemy ship and drop depth charges underneath it. But I suspect in reality, they just get straight on and collide with it, it, it being the Japanese way. Mm -hmm. yeah. The Japanese, they've got um, a, a poor quality torpedo boat. It's, it's not very fast. Uh, it's got only got one 20 millimeter gun. So uh, it's going to be outshot easily by any American vessel. Yeah, I would say if uh, you're playing historically, that's going to suffer compared to the boat you just described for the Americans. Oh, oh Lord, yeah, but... We've got, so they've got a couple of crazy landing ships we found. This guy, Steve Cox, found the plans for these uh, very, very modern-looking landing ships, a bit like a, you know, a modern-day landing ship, you know, with landing craft going off the back, and, uh, and they look fantastic. But they've also got a couple of big guns on them. Oh, and wow. They're going to give the fright of anything to the, to, to the Americans or the British. Uh, they look awesome. You, yeah, it's difficult to describe, but they're, they're things of beauty and bristling with guns. Love it. And then finally, they've got the, the, the Type High Minesweeper, which is a very good-looking uh, ship with a couple of big guns and uh, lots of double and triple 20 millimeters, triple guns, which is really interesting. That Nasty. Is. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> nice. We'd love it. Yes. Well, okay. Let's. So that's a ballpark Japanese. Uh, let's move on to the British. Well, the British, we got a, quite a, hmm, I think we went a bit mad with the British because I said we had all those various modifications that this guy kept making because he likes making British boats. So in the basic game, you'll get uh, the Vospers, which are um, just got twin heavy machine guns, that's all, and two torpedoes. Mm -hmm. And then later ones, um, they added an extra 20 mil gun to them, which is nice. Mm -hmm. And by the late war, the Vospers... You've got a, a, a single six-pounder semi-auto gun, uh, which is nice. And then we built, to try and uh, to fend off these e-boats, we started the fair miles or the dog boats, the D-boats. And uh, these are much stronger, larger vessels. And these have got, uh, oh, no, two six-pounder semi-autos, 
twin machine guns, four torpedoes, depth charges, and more optional guns, you name it, they're great. They're Again, they're a little pocket battleship, really. They're, they're a bit like your PT boats, but quite a lot slower. Mm, nice. Uh, then we've got... We've got the lovely ones, things like a simple Admiralty arm trawler, you know, literally a trawler with two three-pounder guns on it, you know. Uh, and uh, after that, I say we mentioned those uh, landing craft guns, mm-hmm. those ones with the big guns on. Nice. So, uh, yeah, very, very exciting. Oh, that's cool. And are there national rules that go along? I, I do know that the stats for these ships are differentiated, so you really do get a flavor for how each ship I guess each nation has sort of a different character, but are there national rules that sort of build on top of that, or is it just built into the stats of the ships? Uh, it's built into the stats of the ships. Uh, the um, the only thing we went for nationality was, in general, uh, I've sort of made it a rule that if an enemy ship strikes its colors, then you have to accept its surrender. Mm. Apart from, unfortunately, if it's Pacific, where neither side tended to do that. It's uh, a war to the death of the Pacific. Yeah. And I did notice that there were specific rules for the Japanese tiny, um, you know, kamikaze boats um, that, of course, no other nation would have used. So I did know that was in there. So, yeah, there are some, I guess. Yeah. The the Germans and the Italians also get tiny boats. They had radio-controlled ones, the Germans. That's right. Radio-controlled and. uh, they had a few successes, not very many, but uh, you really don't want a motorboat coming at you, radio control, because, uh, you know, you've really got to stop it before it hits you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine being on any side ship and having another ship come at me. I mean, that would just be it's not like you can just run away. I mean, you're in the middle of a sea. There's nowhere to hide. And it's chasing you. And it's, chas- it's got light. It's got lights on the back of it, which the operator can see. It's got a left and a right, you know, rudder thing. So you just keep guiding it on you as you're running away. Oh, that's crazy. That is. And of course, the lights would be pointing away from the target. So the target's only seeing this thing coming at them. Oh, that would be terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. So those are good. Uh, the, the other wacky two things we've got put in there just for a laugh uh, of crazy weapons. We put in, uh, I'll just read it out. Uh, we put in the crazy. Um, uh, Exotic weapons. We put in the zigzag torpedoes, mm-hmm. which the Germans developed in mid-war, where you basically set them to run for, say, 600 yards, and then it'll make a left turn, and then go for another 1,000 yards, and then do a right turn automatically. So you'd fire them into convoys or perhaps into a harbor, so it would just zigzag around. So we've got rules for that as well, which oh. is good fun. And then these ridiculous things called the Dratzel Racket, which is uh, a German, actually the British did the same, a crazy anti-aircraft rocket where when you were being dive-bombed, you'd fire these basically large July the, July the 4th rockets up in the air mm-hmm. and they'd trail steel cables behind them. So it goes up into the air and then come down by parachute slowly, hopefully slicing the wing off any enemy aircraft ta- attacking you, which oh. uh, is quite fun. It's, it's just a bit of a giggle. But also, finally, the craziest thing is the Germans introduced a flamethrower to put on their on their merchant ships, which just fired straight up in the air. And uh, it sounds a bit desperate, doesn't it? Because, of course, what goes up must come down. Yes. But if you're an attacking swordfish in your slow-flying, fabric-covered biplane, and there's boiling oil going up in front of you, it might just put you off your stroke, mightn't it? Yes. 
I would definitely not want to be above that. <laughs> so that's the last test. We haven't used it on the tabletop yet. So if anybody would like to phone in and tell me if it actually works, I'd be delighted to know. Oh, yeah, exactly. And uh, see if uh, what goes up does truly come down. Right on. Well, all right, John. I, I'm 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 embarrassed to say I'm out of questions about cruel seas. Um, what is there anything that we have not talked about tonight that you really want to get into? Uh, yeah, the only thing I'd add is we uh, in the basic game we have literally uh, because not most people and why should they don't know a lot about motor torpedo boats. I put a lot of history into mm. the book. The actual rule book's really quite slim on rules. But it's big on background. It'll explain the, the boats and it'll explain the histories. Uh, and that that really cool uh, bibliography at the back. So we encourage you to dig in more. Uh, but I will say that we've got a whole wealth of other stuff to come out, um, uh, which we haven't shown yet. Things mm. like, you know, uh, uh, um, these Siebel fairies, which we haven't really shown yet. Uh, mm. We've got HS Campbelltown, which uh, did the, the incredibly um, uh, famous raid on San Nazar. Uh, with all the commanders when they oh, uh, ran yeah. them, okay. they, the, the great raid, as they call it. We've made that model, so that would be a great one to pick up. Awesome. We've got a couple of submarines, surface submarines, which uh, we'll put on sale soon in in, in the new year. Uh, and we've got a lovely little harbour place as well. Uh, we've had Sarissa. Our friends have made us a little e-boat pen, basically, so you can a nice place for your flotilla to, to, to hunker down in. So... And we've got some beautiful lighthouses we're selling here. So uh, people can have great fun making headlands and islands and things and, you know, riversides. So it's just it just looks beautiful visually. Even on just a blue cloth, it looks nice. But mm. add a couple of rocks and shoals and sandbanks and you're laughing. Yeah, I was looking at the pictures in the book and through the, you know, some of the stuff you guys have been leaking online and you look at the, and you go, wow, that's visually beautiful. And then you actually look at what's involved. And as you say, it doesn't take much terrain um, with these ships on a nice blue tabletop. And all of a sudden, it pops. It looks really impressive. Um, it isn't like, you know, bolt action where you have to have row upon row of bocage sometimes. And, you know, these really detailed houses and everything else. And, it, I mean, of course, it looks great. But for to make this tabletop look great, you need a lot less. Well, I'm I'm doing this broadcast from our, our head office shop, and uh, I'm looking over at our cruel seas table, and there's in fact there's just one piece of land on it, uh, and those wakes that uh, are, are look very realistic, so it gives the sense of movement and uh, uh, and uh, and waves all about. It looks great just on a simple blue tabletop. It does look lovely, and as you say. It means that anybody can just dip into this game really quickly, throw a blue cloth down, and off you go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, okay. Fantastic. Now, before I let you go, though, John, it is Christmas time, and you are the Santa Claus of Warlord Games. So what do we have? I, I know that you guys have just been putting out an incredible amount of things of late. Um, there have been a ton of great releases. I mean, of course, we have the new Test of Honor, um, the Seven Samurai box. There is the, um, of course, Cruel Seas. There's the new Battle for France book for Bolt Action and all the products that are associated with it. Um, there are just so many great things coming out through you guys. I just got to ask, can you give us a couple of tidbits? I don't want to be greedy, but it is Christmas. What's coming up, John? 
Well, have you been good? Uh, never. <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> I know the answer for that. Yeah. I know you of old. Yes, uh, you do. Uh, right. Okay. Now, how could? Yeah, I always tell everybody, anybody. So I always get into trouble with my staff. But there's there's only only George here. He won't tell. Nice. Um, so what have we got coming? Right. Lots of the cruel seas, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just releasing this week uh, the ME one one O's and the Focke one nineties for for uh, uh, Blood Red Skies, nice. and they look fabulous, lovely, including a couple of you know uh, 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 ace pilots as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look. Um, I did spot Andy Chambers in here last week um, doing something with jets, which looked very interesting. Oh, really? Yeah, very interesting. But that's for a while, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, in, shortly in the new year, we'll be doing the battle for Budapest. Very which will nice. Be all the Hungarian armies, King Tigers, Joseph Stalin twos, we, uh, Hungarian paratroopers we've been making models of. Uh, they, they were tough boys, I can tell you. You don't want to mess with them. Yes. Um, that looks nice. Uh, then we will have uh, a fantasy game coming out in January. Oh, is this Rick's project? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Rick's project, so that's quite neat. And that will have, uh, we'll also be releasing at the same time the, the War Games Factory Skeletons and Orcs mm-hmm. in different size box sets as a regiment and as a big horde with a big uh, lich master type leading them mm-hmm. uh, the guy from uh, oh, uh jason the argonauts you know with the teeth of hydra mm-hmm. i think they, now, they look really cool. they cool. do they look very cool now i should clarify um and i am making a reference back to the very first time you came on to any podcast that i ran which was years like oh god six seven years ago maybe even in that ballpark um, and um, you asked, hey, since I'm coming on, uh, I thought I might bring a friend. Is it all right if I bring a friend? And I said, sure, of course. And you said, well, yeah, I'm going to bring, you know, and you made some passing comment about Rick. And I was like, do you mean Rick Priestley? And you said, and I quote, is there any other Rick? Um, and so when we are talking about Rick, uh, I think our listeners would like to know that, of course, you and I are always jokingly talking about the man himself, Rick Priestley, um, one of the true greats of wargaming. And he, he, so he has taken um, the rules of Antares and Bolt Action and sort of adapted them for a fantasy setting. Is that right? Yeah, I was out, funny, I was out for a curry with him last night. He's in very good form. I'll be pleased to tell everybody. So he's uh, very excited about his game coming out. With uh, um, it's uh, it's kind of a generic, if you like, uh, mm. generic fantasy game. It's it's not in any particular world that uh, it's meant for people like you and me who have got fantasy armies from all manner of places, and we can mm-hmm. trot them all out, fight them against each other, you know. And uh, we will be bringing out a sw- oh, we will be bringing out a small figure range to accompany it, actually, mm-hmm. in um, in partnership with uh, another company from abroad. Uh, that's all I can say at the moment. But that mm. some beautiful resin, beautiful resin models to come out with it, and we'll make a few heroes as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's a uh, it's uh, heroin, isn't it? It's yes. heroin, and uh, so that's looking nice. And I'll try and think of anything. Uh, what? Oh, we've got a French Indian War book coming out Ooh. for the Black House fans, and a Bronze Age book for uh, Hail Caesar, written awesome. by Nigel Stillman, who is uh, knows his stuff. Yes, he does. He's very, he's very, very good. Oh. And 
Japanese paratroopers for the bulk action people. That'll be nice. That will be nice. Now, can I ask uh, a, a personal question? Are these going to be plastic or metal? Are you allowed to say? Uh, they'll be metal, the paras. Excellent. Ooh. Um, well, for the Italians as well, we will be doing Italians in plastic. We'll be working on those uh, in a variants, quite a few variants. Oh, uh, also British uh, uh, colonial um, uh, Commonwealth troops for uh, Eighth Army. So that will be New Zealanders, uh, diggers, and uh, South Africans. Brilliant. So, and for the Italians, M13 in plastic and Semivente to give them some some uh, final, some fire support. That should be shortly. Oh, that is fantastic. Uh, as an Italian player, I am I am loving these words that you're saying, John. My eyes just went dinner plates when you said plastic Italians. So, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Really, really nice. Oh, fantastic. All right. So, oh. so everybody's being nice. That's what's going to happen. Oh, oh. Next, um, next edition of War Games Illustrated, it's got, it's got uh, PT boats on the front. Oh, very nice. I look forward to reading that. And is that the January issue or the December issue for those who um, are looking when this comes out? Well, one's just come out. The one that just came out last week mm -hmm. is, uh, so that would be the December. December edition. Yeah. Anyway. We're not dating this at all, are we? <laughs> yes. I was doing the Rodney Danger pu uh, field pull of the collar while I said that. Urgh, not dating this at all. Um, Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Right on. Well, John, I have to say, as always, it is a total pleasure to hear your voice. Um, you know, we've been talking for so long, over so many years, that every time I hear your voice, it puts a big smile on my face. And as always, you've delivered the goodies uh, to all us naughty children. And um, I just have to say, as always, um, as a fan of Warlord Games um, and as a player of the games, I have to thank you to, from the bottom of my you know, uh, naughty little self for all of the hard work that you guys have been putting in. Um, thank you very much. And yes, please continue all the great work. Well, Brad, it's been a pleasure. I say it's uh, smashing to do this. I'd love to do another one whenever you like. And if you're very, very good, I'll drag Mr. Priestley on. How about that? Excellent. Doesn't get any better than that. The John and Rick show is my favorite. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll come, come on and you can... Uh, Give us another quiz or something. Have some fun with us. Oh, you don't want me to do that. Huh. I did yeah, say I was naughty, right? Yeah. Mm. Particularly Rick. Mock him. <laughs> we'll talk. Now, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, it does it does sort of uh, bear mentioning that it is the end of the 2018 uh, podcasting year. Um, and if you are listening to this, um, this has been the first year that the Warlord Games podcast has been on. Um, I have got to say that I have really enjoyed all of the positive comments that have been sent my way um, about this show. Um, and I just, please keep them coming. It is wonderful um, that you guys listen and enjoy the show. And if you have suggestions, as several of you have, um, we have done our best to incorporate all of those. Um, and I do uh, reach out to the community before big notable guests come on to ask exactly what it is that you want to hear. 
So if you have feedback for us, um, this podcast itself does not have its own page um, at the moment. We, of course, go through the Warlord Games official website and through the Warlord Games official Facebook page, it being the official podcast. Um, but as I am not technically a Warlord employee, um, you can reach me to give me feedback um, through my other podcast page, which is Cast Dice. C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. And if you type that into Facebook, you will find my Facebook page and you can contact me, Brad, directly through there. I'm the only one that answers it. Um, But of course, if you would like to contact Warlord themselves, you can through their website. Um, I know I have said this before, but it does, of course, bear uh, repeating that podcasts don't cost money. But time is precious, and you know some, the, the expression is "time is money." And um, thank you for taking the time to listen to us this year. Uh, we hope to bring you more wonderful podcast goodness in 2019. Uh, we hope that you have a wonderful, happy holidays and a very happy new year. And we look forward to bringing you more joy and excitement in 2019. Good night.